324 million seconds. 5,400,000 minutes, 90,000 hours, 3,750 days, 10.27 years, roughly 30% of the average adult American's life is spent at work. And one author said, how we spend our days, of course, is how we spend our lives. Good morning, church. Pastor Josh from the St. John's campus. I'm very excited to be here with you today. I love coming back to Mount Pleasant because I get to see a lot of you I don't get to see too often. I love my family in St. John's. I enjoy being here. But it's interesting that I'm here today because last week, Pastor Allen mentioned something. A few weeks ago, he spoke. So he's got a great accent, and he's all the way from this exotic land of Ireland. And then Peter spoke with a great accent, and he comes all the way from Uganda. Last week, Mary shared the word of God, and she comes from South Africa. So we were thinking to keep the special accents and the extravagant, exotic places going. I come to you today from Langsburg, Michigan, and I am glad to be here. So if you didn't know that, I'm from Langsburg. In all seriousness, we're in week four of an aptly named series, Nothing Wasted. And we talked at the beginning of the series about bringing Christ into the everyday with people. And then we talked about bringing Christ into our everyday lives as men. And then we talked about bringing our lives, Christ into our lives in the everyday as women of the church and what that means. Today, I'm gonna talk to you about your vocation, your work. Today, God is gonna show us what some expectations are. We all have expectations in our jobs. Today I'm going to share with you a few biblical expectations that God has in relation to our vocation. Today's sermon's a little different for me. It's a little more testimonial than usual because this sermon series hits me at a unique point in my life. I just finished up a 25-year career and made a bit of a pivot. And you may not know that, but I just finished up 25 years with the Michigan State Police. I could not be more excited to be part of the pastoral staff here, to be loving on you guys, to be the campus pastor at St. John's. But it's interesting because during this pivot, there's one question that keeps coming up. I've been asked dozens, if not a hundred times over the last year and a half, how in the world do you go from being a cop and a state police commander for 25 years and then switch over to being a pastor? How do you make that switch? It's really not that complicated. And it goes to the core of what the messages God has for us from his word today. Walk back with me, if you would, in time to the late 1990s. I think we have a picture of me as a little kid. That, that's me at 21. At that point in my life, I had just finished up a degree in criminal justice at Michigan State University. I had just married the love of my wife, Liz, sitting over here. I was actively involved in leadership in my college group. On Sunday mornings at the college group, I loved being able to give the message. When we had retreats, I loved being able to speak. I enjoyed those things. I loved being part of ministry with that group and in my church. But at the same time, I was going into a recruit school that for almost five months of my life would basically own me. I was entering a time of service of at least 25 years where I would be mentally and physically and emotionally challenged and I would enter a career that would really dictate and control my schedule pretty much 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. At that time in my life, I will tell you about 99% of the people in my life completely supported me going into law enforcement. 
No dissenting opinions except for one day, and it took me off guard. And it came from one of my best friend's dad, a man I respected, a man who was a godly man of wisdom, and out of the blue, he said, Josh, I want to talk to you because I think you're Jonah. I think there's a clear call on your life to full-time ministry, and I think you're running off to be a trooper because you think it's fun. That hit me hard. Because I respected the man, I had to ask myself, like, even though I don't think this is true and I don't think it's accurate, I respect him, so I have to take stock and go, God, is this a blind spot in my life? So what do you do when you hear something in your life and you have to discern, is this God speaking or not? Fortunately, I'd been taught and I knew that the Holy Spirit speaks to us through a number of ways. The Holy Spirit, as we all know, speaks to us through the Bible. He speaks to us through prayer. He speaks to us through circumstances, and he speaks to us through his church. So I went to those four things. I started with scripture. In my quiet time, I started seeking out scripture about vocation and about calling and about tasks and about work. And the more I read, the more God seemed to confirm for me that I was moving in the right direction and that he was inviting me to join his work. And I learned as I read the word of God that your vocation, when you obey and go into the vocation God has for you, it always requires faith and it always requires action. So the word of God seemed to confirm for me I was going in the right direction. Now comes prayer. I was engaged to Liz, so I included her in this, of course, because we were starting our life together, and we prayed, and I said, God, please give me clarity. If this is a word from you from him, let me see it, but if I'm supposed to go the direction I think I'm going, and I'm supposed to go, confirm that for me. And the more Liz and I prayed, the more we were convinced that God had, for whatever reason, programmed me emotionally, physically, mentally to go into that field, and he was confirming for me I was supposed to go into law enforcement. That left the next one, looking at circumstances. So I stepped back and I looked at circumstances and I realized that God had put key people in my life at key points in time and gave me opportunities that opened doors for me that were only described as being God. Even getting into recruit school, we had 121 people start our recruit school and for every one of those 121 spots, 60 people had been rejected. So obviously it was God that opened that door to allow me to be in that school. Then there's God's church. How does he speak through his church? If you look around, you're surrounded with godly men and women who can speak wisdom into your life when you need it. So I went to some godly men in my life and I told them, this is my conundrum, what do you think? Each one of those men said, Josh, I've known you. You are physically, emotionally, psychologically, God made you to be a troop. You're going in the right direction. So easy, right? I'm convinced. All four ways. It wasn't really that easy because although it was confirmed, I was still confused. I'm 21 years old, all these things I'm supposed to do to decide if this is from God are saying I'm going in the right direction, but this one person put this thought in my mind, if I'm supposed to be going into a 25-year career in law enforcement, why do I have a nudge at my heart towards full-time ministry? I love that God is loving, but I love that he's blunt. He kind of smacked me. He said, son, listen, you're looking at this wrong. God said, this is not an either-or. It is not either or. The career I've called you to is the full-time ministry that I've called you to as long as you're doing it for the right reasons and for me. As that 21-year-old young man that you just saw on the screen a minute ago, it was the first time that I realized the correlation between vocation and commission. My vocation is the job I have. 
My commission is the exact same commission every single man and woman hearing my voice has from Christ. So no matter what our vocation, that's okay. We have different personalities, passions, traits, training, schooling, different things we do every day for our job. We all have a different vocation, but church, we're all on mission with the same exact commission. And that brings us to the first expectation God has for us today in regards to what we do for a vocation. We need to understand that we have many vocations, but we have one commission. You see, our our mission here at this church is to pursue and to walk with people and to push them towards a focused life with Jesus Christ. And as we walk a focused life with Jesus Christ, we realize that we're called to the Great Commission. And as Christians, we receive the Great Commission from Christ himself when he told us to be in a life of discipleship. Let's look at God's word in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, if you would. As Jesus came, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So what does that mean to me? What does it mean to you when we think about vocation? Church, there is no higher or lower ranking in God's family based on your vocation. There's not. So it doesn't matter if you're a pastor standing up here, a doctor, a mechanic, a construction worker, a teacher, a custodian, a full-time mom, a firefighter, a machinist. It doesn't matter what your vocation is because your vocation title does not raise or lower your status in God's church. Neither does education. I value education, I'm glad I have it, but let's be honest. You can have five doctorates, or you can have one year of college, you can have no college, you can have a GED, or maybe you never got a chance to go to any schooling at all. That does not change your rank and status before God. Do you know why? Because your identity as a man or a woman is you are a child of God, and we are all given the exact same commission, and he has equipped us with the skills and talents and gifts and abilities we need to carry out our role on mission for him. Our commission from Christ comes before our vocation, before our role as employees, wherever we work. Let's be honest, I know some of you question that. I know that because I have had conversations face-to-face with brothers and sisters from all three campuses, and they've said, I have to be honest, I wrestle with insecurity about some of these things. I've talked to men and women who say I'm a little bit insecure about my job title. I'm a little insecure about maybe I'm part-time, not full-time, or I'm laid off right now, or I'm a little insecure because the people around me, their level of education and training is higher than me. To encourage you through that, I want to look at a few people from Scripture. Some of you may have heard of King David, the man after God's own heart. God placed him in a position to lead his nation. Do you know what his vocation was when he started? He was a shepherd. He was in the field tending sheep, Ruth. I'm sure many women hearing my voice today have done studies on Ruth, an amazing godly woman. If you're gonna study a woman in the Bible as a young lady, look at Ruth, amazing. But when we start the story of Ruth, she's recently widowed, she doesn't know where she's gonna live, she's jobless and she's homeless, and she has more questions than answers. Joseph, his brothers threw him in a pit and then sold him into slavery to fake his death. God used him as the number two leader of one of the greatest nations in the world at the time, saved millions from famine. Andrew, Peter, James, John, they were fishermen for a living. Matthew was a tax collector. 
And don't forget Paul. He wrote a huge chunk of the New Testament. He was incredibly involved in the launching of the Christian church. We still learn from his teachings today. He made his living and paid his bills by making and fixing tents. So what do all these people have in common? Regardless of their vocational status, every one of these people was on mission for God and obeyed him, and these people literally changed the history of the world. The list of vocations when we talk about those people is broad, but they all had one commission, and that was obeying what God told them to do with his given skill set at that point in time, at that place on mission that he gave them. They all obeyed and they fulfilled their mission. That's all we're called to do. See, when we have the attitude that our commission is more important than our vocation and we take it with us, we can honor God no matter where we're at and even if there's interruptions in life. You say, well, I'm sick and I can't work right now or I'm laid off right now or I don't have the job I want or that promotion didn't work out or I'm just in a position where I don't enjoy work. If we understand that we're in that place and time to honor God, we can still move forward with a positive attitude. Some of you may have heard of Spurgeon, an amazing theologian, an amazing preacher. He was an orator. He's a very gifted man. I love to just sit and read his sermons just to read them because he's so incredible. But there was a point in time where he got sick. And here's what he said. When protracted illness and weakness laid me aside from daily preaching, I resorted to my pen as an available means of doing good. I would have preached had I been able, but as my master denied me the privilege of thus serving him, I gladly availed myself to another method of bearing testimony for his name. Oh, that he may give me fruit in this field also, and his shall be all the praise. Who was Spurgeon? He was an amazing orator, pastor, and theologian. What couldn't he do? He couldn't do his vocation. He's sitting here saying, this is what I do. This is my job, God, and I can't do it. And instead of pouting and saying, well, I guess things kind of stink right now, he said, I can't preach, give me a pen. Because my commission hasn't changed, even though my vocation has stalled right now, I'm gonna keep honoring God with a pen. This brings us up to the second expectation we have today, and that's that we need to embrace how God has uniquely equipped each one of us. And yes, that includes you. You are uniquely equipped. Aren't you guys glad that we have different traits and skills? I am. As I look around this church, as I look around life, I am blown away by the gifts and skills and talents and abilities that God has given people in this church that, quite frankly, I do not have. There are people all around this room that you do things every day that's easy for you because you're an expert in it, you're skilled in that. I can't do that because I don't have that gifting. And I praise God for the fact that he has put you in a position where you can do that. Because he needs every one of you in a different part of the mission he's called us to. As I was praying through this sermon, I was trying to think of the perfect example of someone being equipped by God. And a name popped up in my head that I've never heard preached about. There's no books written about this man, but I think he's pretty phenomenal. I don't know if you've ever heard of Bezalel. He was the son of Uri. He was good at crafts. You read about the Old Testament and you look at it and this guy was a king and this guy was a judge and this woman led here and these people did this. They're all these big, amazing jobs. And you say, hey, who was Bezalel? Dude was pretty good with crafts. In the grand scheme of things, people aren't lined up to write books about him, but let's read why he was important. In Exodus 31, one through six, God's talking to Moses here. And then the Lord said to Moses, see, I've chosen Bezalel, son of Eri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, 
with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. To make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I've given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you. First thing I want to take out of this section of scripture, if you're expecting and you don't have a name for your son, there's three really good ideas right there that you don't hear a lot. (laughs) Secondly, what's going on here? God has called Moses to do a project. He said, build me a tabernacle where I will come down and dwell among my people. That's a huge task. Not only did he say that, he said, here are all the details to the little minutia of how that tabernacle needs to be built. Moses didn't need warriors, he didn't need judges, he didn't need kings, he didn't need people with great curricula vitae that could say, look at all the stuff I could do. What did he need? He needed people who had the skills to do the crafts that were necessary to make the ornate tabernacle of God. Very specific skills. And he had equipped Bezalel for this very mission in this place and time. He equipped him so he'd be ready when God told him what his mission and commission was so he could jump in. If it wasn't for all these skills, they wouldn't have been able to complete the mission. Much like that, everyone in this room has been given different skills and passions. You've been called to different vocations because of your abilities, and God is inviting you to be on mission with him in your work. So when you think about this, you think about what God poured into those people. If you're at home raising kids at home, you are doing it filled with the spirit that God has given you to. When you're working in a factory, you have all those kinds of skills that he has poured into you. When you're teaching, it says he pours wisdom into you. Do it with the wisdom he's poured into you. If you're leading a company, do it with the understanding he's poured into you. Just like God did then, he does it now. He is pouring into you so that you are ready when he calls you to live out the Great Commission. Whatever you're doing, you're ready. God himself said at one time when he was talking to David, he looked at David in 2 Samuel and he says, I took you from the pasture, tending the flock, and I appointed you to rule over my people. God himself was saying, you just thought you were just a shepherd. I was preparing you to shepherd an entire nation and be a king for me. That's the same God that prepares us. Where you are in life is not an accident. Whether you're part of Unite and you just picked your major or whether you're retired and you're looking at life going, hey, where do I plug in and serve God now? You are at this place in time with the skill set and experience you have to be used by God. You're obeying the Great Commission as you live that out. But here's the question. Can anybody tell? When I'm at work, can anybody tell I'm a Christian? That's a question we have to be very carefully, attentively looking at. Sadly, I've heard people say, well, you got to understand, Pastor Josh, at my work, I can't be a Christian at work. Nothing could be farther from the truth because we are called as men and women before God to accountability before anything else. Before I'm a husband, before I'm a father, before I'm an uncle, before I'm a pastor or a friend or a volunteer or a neighbor or an employee or a peer or anything else I am, I am first held accountable before God to be a man of God and am I living out the Great Commission? This means we bring our Christian faith and our Christian attitude and our Christian worldview to absolutely everything we do, including work. Now, I will tell you, none of us are perfect in that, myself included. But that is the goal, and that is the standard we're supposed to be aiming at. How do we do that? It brings us to our third expectation. 
our expectation with God in our work is that we are supposed to ensure our work glorifies God. As we live out the Great Commission, Christ should be reflected in our attitudes, in our relationships, in our ethics, in our motives, everything we do. And this starts with our perspective about work itself. What is our attitude towards work? What is our attitude when we get dressed in the morning and tackle whatever God has given us to do for our vocation? Colossians talks about that. Here's our guideline. Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And church family, this isn't just one verse. This is a theme throughout scripture. I'm not gonna break down every single passage, but I will tell you, in Proverbs, in regards to work, it tells us not to be sluggards. In 2 Thessalonians, we're instructed, don't be lazy. When you look at Romans, we're instructed to be enthusiastic and full of zeal when we go to work. In Ephesians, we're instructed to be wholehearted. And look at Genesis. The ultimate example, God himself, when he created everything, he created to a standard of excellence so that even as God who spoke everything we see into being, could look at his work and say, it's good, it's very good. The standard is not, I showed up at work today, I went home. The standard is, did I bring God to work with me and did I work to his glory? And as I share these questions with you, it's not for me to say that about your job. We all have to ask ourselves these questions. And it's pretty easy to ask, but it's hard to answer. Am I truly working hard? Am I at work tackling my job with enthusiasm? Am I working wholeheartedly or am I just kind of showing up? Am I holding my work to a standard of excellence or am I just like, yeah, good enough, it's done? And am I reflecting a Christ-like attitude as I interact with my peers and my coworkers? As I share this question, list of questions with you, I think of one of my favorite speeches. Martin Luther King Jr. had a speech. He had a lot of great things he said, but there's one thing that just jumped out at me the first time I heard it, and quite honestly, sometimes I just play it and listen to it. He gave a speech one time, and he was talking about the importance of doing everything with diligence, doing everything with excellence, and when he was speaking, he used the example of a street sweeper because at that time, a street sweeper, I can't talk, a street sweeper was seen as a lowly task. You're literally just out cleaning garbage out of the street. But here's what he said. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Could you imagine Could you imagine if every one of the men and women in this room and hearing my voice today went out tomorrow and said, I understand that it's not just a job now. I'm on commission for Jesus Christ and I'm gonna go at it with that kind of attitude. I open today sharing a little bit of my testimony about how God taught me that my vocation was my full-time ministry as long as I was living the way he called me to and he challenged me. 25 years as a police officer, he challenged me, live as a Christian on and off duty. Live as a Christian in uniform and out of uniform. Whether you're mobilized or at home, whether it's stressful or you're in peace, whether you're in conflict or cooperation, even in your interactions with murderers and rapists, I am calling you to remember that no matter what that person did, they're a broken person separated from God who's a sinner who needs me, and so are you, Josh. That's what he called me to. 
And I can tell you I am so far from perfect. But I thank God that he gave me that 25 years because he opened opportunities that I never would have had. Opportunities I never would have had. I got to pray with families after delivering a death notification. I got to speak peace and tell God's story to people that had just been the victim of a horrible crime. I got to talk to people who'd carried out horrific acts and speak to them with dignity because I saw that they were a child of God who needed him and not just some horrible person that wasn't worth my time. They had value in God's eyes. I got to walk beside coworkers struggling with marriage problems. I got to bring God's calm. In the middle of riots, I got to stop and pray with people while I was responsible for groups responding to riots. I got to share strength in the face of fear because it's God's strength we live with, not our own. I got to bring a Christian worldview in as a leader in a secular broken world. And you know what else I got to do? I got to love everyone I encountered, not because of a policy or not because it was politically correct, but because Jesus Christ himself lived out the example that even if you disagree with how someone's living their life or a sin that's in their life, love the person as I love the person. So I got to love people in situations I never would have been able to be in because Christ gave me that example. Hundreds of opportunities to interact with people for Christ and I am no different from any one of you. Church, you live every day on campus, in your job, in your homes. You're next to people. You sit and stand and walk and work next to people who need God, and many of them may never come into a church building. That's okay. You know why? No one ever achieved their eternal salvation from a building. I praise God we have a building, but you are the church. The building is not the church. And when you take as the church God to those people at work every day and live out the Great Commission, something's going to happen. They're going to say, what is up with him? What is up with her? They have a peace in their life. There's something in their life, and I want it. And you can say, I'm not an amazing person. I'm a broken person that needs God just like you. But God did this and this and this for me. Every opportunity is a chance daily to live out the Great Commission on your mission field. I want to share a true story with you. It's a true story that happened in St. John's about a year ago. It's a true story that touches every single one of you and your impact in this church. It's a story that shows that God threaded something from his first calling for me to law enforcement all the way through to the calling he has for me now, and it confirms the commission never changed, but the vocation did. I don't know if you guys know Justin. He's just a guru. He's a master of tech stuff, and he makes a lot of things happen here. Very knowledgeable in areas I'm not. He was meeting at the St. John's campus after we got that church building before it was remodeled with the team that was going to engineer and design the sound system. We rely on Justin to know that stuff because I'm not the guy you want picking out a sound system. I took a day off. I was supposed to be at work. I wasn't supposed to be with him, but my brother Justin invited me to join him, and we're there. We're in the church. No one's supposed to be there. We haven't launched. We haven't had a meeting. The church is locked and closed because it's a building that's not remodeled yet, and as we sit there talking, we hear this woman's voice go, hello? I look at Justin. I'm like, I'm going crazy. I hear a woman's voice. Hello? There was a woman standing in the back of the church A door that we didn't intentionally leave open was unlocked and she made it inside and she had a hoodie with the hood up and her hands in the pocket and tears running down her face and she was hunched over. And I went back and I said, what do you need? She said, I don't know. And she started crying more. And we sat down and we talked 
And she shared her story with me and we prayed. And she said, I was a heroin addict and I was in Detroit and I found this place I could crawl underneath a mobile home and I could get under the skirting and I had my last little bit of heroin and so I used it and I crawled under there to die one cold night and I heard a voice in my head say, you've got to move. So I crawled out. First person I encountered was an unmarked police car and I got arrested and went to prison for five years. When I was in prison, though, she said, I found a place called Celebrate Recovery. Sound familiar? We have that here. Amazing. She finds Celebrate Recovery. She finds God. She gives her life to Christ. She gets clean. She gets out of prison after five years, and that was about a week before I met her at the St. John's campus. And I said, what is it you need? She said, I feel like God's a million miles away. I need to feel like God's close. I need peace, and I need to get home. And we prayed and asked that God would give her those things. And then as we talked a little bit more, she was relaxed, and she said, oh no, your last name's later. And she started sobbing again. I said, yeah, yeah, it is. She said, you're a cop. I said, I'm also a police officer. She said, 20 years ago, you arrested me for drugs and warrants. And she said, I remember the night you arrested me because I remember you told me that I was capable of so much more than what I was living now. And as you took me to the jail, I remember you telling me that no matter how low things got, that God loved me and he'd meet me where I was if I just turned around. I remember that day. And she said, this is so embarrassing. And I said, no, this is God. He let us meet. What are the odds that two decades prior, as a cop, I arrest somebody, and then God says, hey, just let me show off a little bit. I'm gonna bring the same person into a different town 80 miles away, and I'm gonna bring her into the church when it's not supposed to be open and you aren't supposed to be there, and I just called you to be the campus pastor here, and the first person you meet that is crying out, God, why are you so far away? I'm gonna put you there and say, tell her I'm here. That's how I know that the commission stayed the same and all I did was change vocations and God did all the work. Liz came in, I said, I want you to meet my wife and she said, no, in recovery when I meet guys, they're just understanding and they just accept you. She said, women tend to be very, very judgy. I just don't click with them. And I said, you haven't met my wife. And Liz came in and before she could get her name, she's giving her a hug and she says, where do you need to go? Home is Claire. Went across the road, all of the things she owned fit in a backpack. We threw it in the truck. We drove her up to Claire, and when we passed about Rosebush, she started crying, and she's bouncing in the backseat. She goes, this is real. And Liz said, yeah, what's real? She goes, it's happening. I have peace. I don't feel like God's a long ways away, and I'm going home. And when we got there, we dropped her off, and she said, I wish I could hug you guys. And Liz goes, why can't you? We both gave her a hug and drove away with tears in our eyes because of what God had just showed us and we thought we may never see her again. One of our biggest outreaches at the St. John's campus is handing out 800 bottles of water at the Mint Festival Parade and we were doing that a couple of weeks ago and a woman walked up with a man and she said, Pastor Josh, do you remember me? And I said, yes, I do. She said, I'm clean, I'm back in St. John's, I found the love of my life and life is going well and I'm still walking with God. That is God. That is God showing off. So, I share that to tell you this. My prayer for you, my prayer for you as you leave today and go into your week, no matter where you're at, I want you to be fully aware, ready, and with your eyes open, understanding no matter your, vacation, your vocation, you are on commission for Christ. And when he shows you those little doors that are open, I want you to be looking for him and see him and walk through. There are gonna be opportunities this week to live out Christ and bring him into your everyday at work. And I want you to think about it this way. 
I want you to think about 324 million seconds not wasted. 5,400,000 minutes not wasted, 90,000 hours not wasted, 3,750 days not wasted, 10.27 years of your adult life not wasted, roughly 30% of your adult life not going to work, but on a vocational mission field for God, living out the great commission that Christ has given you with absolutely nothing wasted. I love you, church. We all have the same commission. We're all on mission together. Go out, have a great week. You're all dismissed.